0: This is the Mormon Women Project at www.mormonwomen.com Hi there, this is Meredith Nelson, and this interview is part of our mixed-faith marriage series continuing through the month of December. This interview is with Jennifer Camborian. I'm really excited to share it with you, but I have to apologize for some of the audio. Around 20 to 30 minutes, it sounds like Darth Vader's lightsaber is malfunctioning in the background. (laughs) But um, listen to what Jennifer has to say. She is a woman of wisdom. Jennifer is a lifelong member of the church. At 42 years old, she married a man who had recently lost his first wife to cancer, leaving him to raise his three children. Coming from a part-member family herself, Jennifer had always been determined to marry a faithful Latter-day Saint man in the temple. But a revelatory process of prayer, fasting, temple attendance, and conversations with trusted friends led her to know she was meant to join this family and give her heart to raising the children and supporting them through their grief. Jennifer and her husband have been married 12 years now, and she attributes their success to their mutual support of each other's faith practices and respect for each other's autonomy. She feels peace that the questions of eternity will be answered later, and that her current job is to love her family. Jennifer, will you tell me about, just about yourself? What do you do? Where do you live?
1: Okay. Well, I'm 55 years old. I live in Northern Virginia. I actually grew up in uh, Central California. I grew up in a part-member family. My mom was LDS all of her life uh she met and married my father who was not lds but he joined the church very soon after their marriage and that's important because it it comes into play in my own story within oh probably five five or six years of his joining the church he just came to believe that he really had made a mistake and did not believe in the truth claims of the church so he asked to have his name taken off the records of the church. And uh, this all occurred when I was, I, I think he left the church when I was really a little tiny girl. So in my growing up years, essentially, I didn't have an LDS dad. Um, we grew up in a family of all daughters, so there was not a priesthood holder in our home. The good news was my dad was really supportive of our family going to church. I think he saw the benefit to all of us of this of this uh, involvement in the church. However, it was painful for me to grow up, and as I got older and especially into my teens, it was painful to experience my church life without a fully LDS family. Uh, growing up in the church in the 60s and 70s, there was still a social culture that you were kind of on the B list socially if you were not in a, a fully LDS family. and And I felt that. I definitely felt it socially. I also think that that was a blessing and a gift in other ways, because being raised in a home where I was presented with two very different philosophies, two very different worldviews, presented me very early with some choices I had to make about what I really do believe. Who am I? And um, what do I really think about these things that I'm hearing at church? So I think that one of the compensating blessings and this is something I've observed throughout my life the Lord offers to us all, compensating blessings if we're able to really pay attention and see them. Uh, And for me, one of the compensating blessings was my testimony from a very young age was quite strong. Um, I remember distinctly having a really powerful witness of the spirit when I was 14 years old, that this is the Savior's church, and that this is where he wanted me to be. Um, I loved church. For me, the structure of it, as well as the doctrinal and cultural uh, experiences that I was having there were, were really beautiful, and I wanted that in my life. Um, and quite frankly, I actually at times had to fight to hold on to that testimony because my father at times was very vocal in his disagreement with our doctrines and with some of the truth claims of the church. And so, again, at a very young age, I had to wrestle with a lot of the information that is out there, that is counter to the church's truth claims. I I was encountering that information when I was 12, 13, 14 years old. And it was in our home. Those books, those articles were floating around our house. So all of this served to be a bit of a crucible for me in terms of refining my understanding of what I believe, how I believe it, why I believe it, how I wanna live. Because of the family environment in which I was raised, I wanted more than anything else. I, I really cannot think of anything that was a higher priority for me than to marry within the faith. I really believed that Uh, And I think this was a naive assumption, but I really believe that any difficulties that existed in our family life, and it wasn't all difficult, there were a lot of really beautiful things about our family life, and my dad was a good father in many, many ways. But I really believe that any difficulties I had as a teenager were directly attributed to the fact that I'm in a part member family. And so I was absolutely determined, more than anyone I knew in the church, I was determined that I was going to marry in our faith. In one of our temples so I went to BYU I I stayed very active in in the church all through my single years and even after I finished with BYU and went into my professional life I moved out to California moved to the California Bay area and lived there for 15 years I continued to be very active in the church singles wards and then later family wards I taught English for several years, and then I moved on to uh, run my own business. I ran a swimming school for many, many years, and I kept going to church, kept going to singles activities, kept going to singles conferences, kept praying that I would be guided to the person I should marry, uh, kept going to the temple. I received my endowments when I was 30, and it just didn't happen every time I was In a dating relationship with an LDS man, I was very prayerful about it. And repeatedly, I would get an answer that, no, this is not the person. This is not the relationship. And sometimes that answer was a very spiritual, very powerful answer. Sometimes it was just me emotionally not feeling it with the guy. Um, My single life in my 20s was was actually really fun. I liked it. And it it was a joy to date and and meet new people. But then as I got into my late 20s, and then especially into my 30s, the dating pool changed. Um, A lot of the men who were still single began to, for various reasons that I do understand, but they began to stop coming to church. And um, I think for a lot of them, it became uncomfortable to be a single adult Mormon man over 30 I think that the consequences for single men are sometimes more challenging than they are for single women uh, in our church.
0: What are the consequences of being single over 30 in the church that you observed for men and for women?
1: What I observed uh, was that there was this interesting parallel track that men and women seemed to be on up until about their mid-20s in terms of their activity in their church and and um, the expectation that, at some point, they would meet someone and get married in the temple. As they get into their mid to late 20s, women are, who are still single are now moving into their their career development years. And what I saw was that their confidence really got stronger and, and increased. And I saw that the men, unfortunately, I think, began to lose a little bit of confidence. Now, this was not true across the board, but it did seem that a lot of the men I knew kind of lost some of their their confidence. They got into their late 20s and into their 30s, and I think that that had a lot to do with the fact that there was a a kind of a cultural expectation that they should be the assertive one, the aggressor, in pursuing a spouse, and that there was the thought in in some people's minds of, what's what's wrong with you? Why aren't you doing your priesthood duty? Why aren't you getting married? Um, You're slacking off. You're not doing your job. And whereas the women were kind of absolved of that responsibility in our culture, so we could continue on and be active in the church, and there, there wasn't as much of a sideways glance towards the single women because, I think there was a sense that, well, we know she's trying if a man is still single, I think sometimes we're a little less forgiving, fair or not, and i I hope that changes. I think it is changing because I think there are a lot of complicated reasons for why people don't get married, and I think that it's unfair for anyone to ever make an assumption about why someone is still single to be fair. I really believe in my case, I, I also remained single because on some level, I was a little nervous about about marriage. I had seen some pain in my own parents' marriage. I had seen some pain in other marriages that were close to me, and I took that pain to heart, and I was, I was a little nervous about getting into a marriage and then having it not be a good marriage and then feeling that, oh, no, I'm, I'm really stuck now. I just wanted to be ultra careful that I made sure to find a really good match where I believed I could have a high, a high likelihood of a happy marriage. And so I'm certain that some of what took me so long to find a companion was my own fear, fear of failure.
0: Did your parents stay together?
1: Yes, they did. Uh, I will say that it was difficult there. Was a period of time when I was about seven years old, where they did separate, and uh, I think I want to be respectful of their privacy. But I think a lot of it had to do with this issue of differing worldviews and different ideas about where they wanted their lives to go. Ultimately, what held them together was two things. Really, they they really had a deep mutual love for each other, and truly wanted to be together, and to their children, they had four daughters and they really, really wanted to be together in raising their four daughters. And so I think they were both willing to, especially my father, I think my father was willing to make compromises on his own ideas about how he thought his life should be, uh, because he didn't want to lose his family. And I'm personally thankful that they did stay together. I, I think that I'm better off for the fact that they did stay together. Just to skip ahead a bit, my father stayed out of the church for 40 years, and then in his mid-70s, he came back to the faith uh, and was re-baptized, and and the family uh, is now sealed in the temple. Um, And it's interesting because I think we all, on some level, knew that Dad would one day come back. And quite candidly, my patriarchal blessing and my mother's patriarchal blessing, which she got as an adult woman in her marriage uh, both say that our father would rejoin the church one day and, and when he was 75 years old he finally chose to be rebaptized in our faith and, and was active in the church until he passed away about three years later
0: what were the compromises that he and your mom made for each other in order to stay together
1: my mother uh, was born and raised in a, a really true blue, you know, five-generation Mormon pioneer family from Idaho, and her entire family were, you know, cut from that cloth. And so I know that Mom felt that somehow she she had messed it up, uh, even though she hadn't. She was a wonderful mother and a member of the, our faith, but. I think that she felt somehow that she had kind of messed it up because her husband hadn't stayed in our faith. I know that it was difficult for her to bear the responsibility of raising all of the daughters herself in the church, but she did. She brought us to church every Sunday. She role modeled for us uh, her faith in ways that were very powerful for full- powerful in shaping all of our testimony. All four of the children, all four of the daughters are still to this day very active, very solid members of the church. I know that some of the compromises included things like uh, my my dad drank alcohol and so we had alcohol in our home. I remember growing up and it was just a, a normal thing in our family that we had a cabinet in the dining room that had all kinds of alcohol in it. We had beer in the refrigerator. Uh, dad drank coffee. He would come home from work and have a beer while he watched TV at night. That was just normal life for us. I know that was very painful for my mother to have that in her home. She didn't want that in her home, but she also understood that it was Dad's home too. And so, to her credit, I I, I really feel that Mom understood how important it was for us to have her show respect for my dad, and consequently that helped all of us then to have respect for him and his choices, even though we did not participate in those activities with him. And even though we didn't agree with his choices in some matters, we were willing and able to respect his choices and his perspective. And, and in fact, this is, this is another reason that I can scoot ahead and, in the story and say that my own marriage works because of the role modeling that I had from my mother. And she, I don't think, had role models, and so she managed it on her own. And, and I'm in awe of that, but she just figured it out.
0: So how did you meet your husband, John, and what led you to the decision to marry him?
1: As I reached my mid to late 30s, I still absolutely was determined not to marry out of our faith. I was a temple worker at the oakland temple and being at the temple every single week reinforced in my mind that that was not a negotiable thing in my life that i was going to marry within the faith and that was it what i found in my dating life however was that as i reached my late 30s very understandably and i don't blame them at all for this but the men i was meeting at church and through the lds dating websites were pretty candid in letting me know, hey, you're really a nice woman and I like you a lot, but either A, I've already raised my kids and I do not want more children, or B, look, I really do want children and and at your age, I just don't think that's realistic. And I got it. I understood where they were coming from, but that put me in a very interesting dilemma because my dating experience in our church ground to a halt. I mean, it's just like hardly anyone... Ever was asking me out because, and I think it had to do with this childbearing issue. So I continued along, and at some point in my late 30s, I began to realize that I couldn't continue to live my life always as if, in other words, I tended to live my life uh, in the in the mindset that, okay, well, I will buy a home when I get married. I will start doing my traveling that I want to do when I get married because I want to do those things with a companion. And somewhere in my late 30s, I began to turn a corner and I began to say to myself, wait a minute, I may not marry. If I don't marry, I don't want to just spend the rest of my life waiting for something to happen. So I decided to take more adult control. That's how I thought of it within myself. More adult measures to establish myself financially and uh, socially in my community and professionally and really make longer-term plans. As a single adult woman, when I was in my 20s and early and mid-30s, I tended to make short-term plans because I never wanted to shut any doors of possibility for anyone I might possibly meet to date. And so uh, professionally, I didn't progress as much as I might have. Um, I've, I waited a really, really long time to buy my first home. I think in some emotional ways, I kind of held myself back from progressing because I, I didn't want to eliminate any possibilities that I might meet someone. And it's kind of sad and ironic that I equated retaining a, a, a certain level of emotional immaturity with being more viable for marriage, but I did. So when I made that shift in thinking and began to really see myself truly as a fully adult woman with or without a spouse, an adult, autonomous, Mormon woman in the world and living happily with or without a spouse is when I noticed I began attracting men again. So maybe there's a lesson in that. Uh, I I bought a home I bought I I bought a home in the Silicon Valley it was a a condominium which was about all I could afford in that part of the country but it was a profound and important step for me to buy my own place it was a recognition of myself as fully functioning adult in the world and that that I can be a full human being with or without a spouse that was an important moment for me Um, in my career I began making meaningful steps to expand my Skills and the reach of my of my work and my income increased accordingly. Uh, all of those things for me were were meaningful steps towards being actually ultimately ready for meeting my husband. Uh, I met my husband through a single adult LDS dating website, and yes, he is not LDS. But what had happened was that he, he and his first wife were in uh, the Foreign Service together. They had lived overseas their entire marriage, had worked at embassies throughout their entire marriage, and really had, had fascinating lives, both individually and then as a couple. They had three children together and, and really had a wonderful life. And then in her mid-40s, she was diagnosed with stage 4 terminal cancer, and it was it was an aggressive cancer, and within a year, she had passed away. Before she passed, Told him that she would really like him to remarry, and he he said he just wasn't even thinking about that. He wasn't interested in that. But I I bless her because she set him free to, to consider that. Within I probably I'd say about five or six months after she passed away, he turned a corner and felt that he wanted a companion, and he wanted someone to raise the children with him. And so he was at work one day. At, an embassy in Braz- at the embassy in Brasilia, Brazil, and uh, one of his co-workers was LDS. And he was having lunch with this LDS co-worker one day and said, I just feel something telling me that I need to start thinking about remarrying, but I don't even know where to begin that process. Uh, my husband at the time was 50, Let's see, he was 53 years old. His co-worker, kind of offhandedly, but- with some seriousness said, well, John, you should marry uh, marry a Mormon woman. Mormon women are amazing. It was a female uh, friend who was saying this and she said, Mormon women are absolutely amazing women and think about marrying a Mormon. And he said, well, I love Mormons. Um, I have worked with them all of my career in the foreign service and they're always my best employees and some of my favorite people. So where do I find a Mormon woman? He said, well, there are these LDS websites. And he said, well, let me talk to my administrative assistant, she's LDS, and tell me more about this. So he went into his office, and his administrative assistant, who was LDS, said, oh, yes, here's this Mormon website. Here, let me give it to you. And so he goes on this Mormon website, puts up a profile, but he puts in his profile that he is not LDS. And on my end, I was living in Silicon Valley, and... I had really reached the point, and this is where the story gets a little dramatic, I had really reached the point where I I, I was coming to peace with the possible reality that I would never marry. I was now 42. And uh, I actually wrote an email to my two best girlfriends and said, you know, I'm really okay with it. I finally feel okay that I'm not, a, I'm not married. Um, I probably won't marry. And that's okay. And I... I, I I started making some plans, to go to graduate school, and pursue a, another career path, and I just felt good. I felt like life is going to be good anyway, even if I I'm alone. And so I thought, well, just, just for the heck of it, just for the fun of it, I'll I'll give it one more try on one of these single dating websites. Uh, I had not yet had success on those, and so I put my name and my profile up and uh, went to bed thinking really that nothing much is going to happen. And the next morning I woke up and there was was an email from John. And uh, I opened it up and I I was intrigued because the very first thing he said was, I'm not LDS, but my friend from work recommended that I consider this. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and do it. And this is new for me and I'm a little nervous, but here we go. And he told me his story and, you know, he wrote his story about his life passing and showed me a few photos of his family. And in the past, whenever I would get an email or an invite from someone not of our faith, I would just put up a wall. I would just say, no, in my own mind, no, I'm not even going really that. But when I read John's profile and saw his photos, I did have a spiritual witness. And uh, the, the thought that came to my mind very clearly was, you need to pay attention to this. Pay attention to this. And we started emailing, and within a day or two, we were on the phone talking. And within days, there, were, there was just an instant affinity. And there was a very strong parallel of values, uh, even though we had different religious faiths. He was raised Catholic, he was not active in the Catholic faith. But he was a deeply faithful, good man. In an interesting way, I I have actually stopped telling people that we are of different faiths. I would say we are almost of exactly the same faith on the really important matters. We have different ideas of how that faith is administered in our day-to-day lives. Me, I mean, I go to church on Sunday, I wear garments, I go to the temple, I do family history, I hold callings. For him, that faith takes the shape of being a good father, being a good husband, doing well in his work, being a very honest person in his professional life, in his personal life. I, I really try not to say he and I are, are not of the same faith or don't share the same faith because the things that are common in our beliefs are actually pretty, pretty parallel, pretty similar. So we continued... To correspond and about 12 days after actually pardon me let me back up about one week after that first email uh, I was sitting in my desk at my desk at home and i was looking at the photos photo that emailed me and I just had a very powerful visceral experience where it was really clear to me this is, this is the person I'm going to marry and uh, and I, I began to cry because I, I get very tender and I tend to cry when I'm touched by the Spirit. Um, I knew with clarity. It was just like pure light, pure knowledge, pure clarity. I wrestled with that because it was at odds with what I had planned for my life since I was 12 years old. I wrestled with it because it was at odds with everything I had read and seen in the temple and heard and read in the church. And I just wrestled with it and so in that wrestling I prayed and the answer that came to my heart and my mind was I want you to be at peace with this I know the end from the beginning I know what I'm doing trust me and trust this process I went to the temple with this and was very prayerful fasted prayed fasted prayed and the answer stayed the same I spoke to a few people whose spiritual judgment and wisdom I really trusted and respected, and they were very supportive of this. And one person in particular, who who was a former bishop of mine, no longer was functioning as my my personal ecclesiastical leader, but he was now my friend. He was a, a kind of a father figure to me in a spiritual sense, and he and I had a long talk about this. And his view was. At forty-three years old, I was now approaching forty-three. Um, it was less and less likely that I would bear children of my own, and why not consecrate my life to the beautiful act of raising this man's children with him, and give them the love that I have, and really that what what these children needed from me wasn't necessarily me to convert them or this husband, what this husband and children needed for me was not necessarily for me to convert them to our faith, but rather they needed my love, they needed my companionship, they needed my mothering, they needed my, my intellect and my, my heart. Why not give that to them? Why not join with this family, marry this good man who I had, by the way, fallen in love with by this time? Why not share my life with this wonderful family? And leave the rest up to the Lord, and let let it trust him. When he said, "I've got this," just go ahead and step out into this situation with this family, and I will I will take care of the rest as as I see fit. When my friend, my former bishop, framed it to me that way, the answer was really easy for me, and so I married him. Uh, we were married just about a year after his wife died. Uh, we were married in California. The children were ages uh, 10, 13, and 15, two younger girls and a boy. It was certainly a, an adjustment for all of us. It was it was definitely a shock to my system to go from total autonomy, single life, to all of a sudden I, I'm making meals for five. I'm managing a household, um, taking care of getting the kids, you know, doctor's appointments, dentist's appointments, all of the things that go into mothering and managing a home, uh, things I really hadn't had to do, all, all were handed to me suddenly. And, uh, and it, was, it was challenging, to say the least. Thankfully, John was an incredible support. Friends had warned me and told me that it, it would take about three years before we felt like a family. And and like clockwork, it really did. It took about three years before we felt like a family. Up until then, I, I especially the first year, I would say that I felt like the interloper. I felt like mm-hmm. they were the family because they had their family culture. They had their family memories. So the whole first year was a massive, massive adjustment for all of us. And at the same time that, that I was making these adjustments, the kids and my husband were really still deep in the grief process, which takes a lot of time. If it does, and and I knew that that time was a process. I knew that that experience was a process for them, and I knew that I could be there to love them and support them, but that some of that just was stuff they had to work through. And uh, and I had to be a bit of a bystander as they as they were working through all of this this grief and adjustment to not having their mother and their first wife anymore. Um, and even though my husband was thrilled to be married to me, uh, the first year of our life together was also mixed in with his saying goodbye emotionally to his first wife. So there were some some complicated emotional undercurrents going on in our family that first year. After the first year, I would say we we all kind of got into the groove a bit more and, and began to understand the rhythm and the, the flow of this new family and this new culture. Uh, you know, when you first come into a family like this, you, you don't have shared memories. They all have their memories and you have your memories, and so they would all be talking about something they had all done together as a family, and I wouldn't be able to participate in that conversation because I wasn't there. And what I found was it took two to three years before we had all built up enough memories of our own together that we had now common ground. We decided early on in our marriage that kids would call me Jennifer rather than mom uh, because we wanted them to know that I wasn't here to try to replace their mother. I really made a very pointed effort from day one to uh, be very open and very um, receptive to the memories of their late mother. And so, to that end, we we actually have her ashes in our home. For the first three years of our family's life together, we would celebrate her birthday. I would make a birthday cake. I would buy birthday cards. I would have each of the children sign a little card, and we would. I would buy flowers, and we would put them by the cards and the flowers by her ashes. We would have dinner, and then we would have the cake. And and the kids would talk about their mother and tell me little stories about her, and I would encourage them to talk about her. And I really believed that for their healing process, but also for our growth together as a family, I needed to see her and myself as co-involved in this family. And, and I needed to keep her memory alive in their minds and hearts. Um, I think that was the correct thing to do. Because they, they began to realize that I wasn't here to try to take over and make a, a lot of changes in their lives, but to support the path that their mother had already established for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to be respectful of her memory and the path and the, the traditions and so on that she had established with them. Uh, it doesn't mean that I was completely going to usurp my own personality and um, subsume myself into the memory of his first wife. It was a careful walk that I walked to, to be respectful of her role in our family and to keep her memory alive in our family, but also to be able to assert my own self, my own personality in our home. There were times when it I was able to do that other times when I felt a little lost in all of this mix. But again, through time, I was able to establish my own role in the family in a way that I don't think threatens the kids uh, or threatens them into feeling that I was going to try to overshadow their mother's memory. I don't have a full understanding of how this will all play out in the eternities. I really don't. But I have felt throughout my marriage, whenever my mind goes to that question of, well, what, what's going to be the eternal picture here? Will I be married to him? Will she be married to him? What's the story here? The spirit, almost like a, a the presence of the, of a gentle hand, you know, putting its arm around my shoulder, the spirit just speaks to my mind. Be at peace with this. You do not need... Think about or worry about this question at this time this will be resolved in a way that you will be comfortable with it and be happy and joyful for now the blessing of my life has been that I have a really good marriage I have a really beautiful family and it took a lot of years to get to the point with the three kids where I think we all felt like okay we are now a family but we feel that i feel that now i have a very sweet very loving relationship with each one of them a lot of what makes it a good marriage is that we have a deep respect for the autonomy of the other person to to decide their belief system now of course there has to be enough overlap that we can be compatible in a day-to-day way and there is thankfully But no, we do not read scriptures together. We do not pray together. We do not go to the temple together. With that said, we spend all our time together. Uh, We go to the gym together in the morning. We go out to dinner together. We take walks. We we talk. We watch movies. We are companions in life. We both love to travel. When we were dating and he proposed, I told him that, the one thing I really need to know is that he would be able to be at ease with the level of commitment that I have to my religious faith. I have seen friends of mine married out of the church, and they thought it could work, and it did not work. And when I look at the challenges that my friends have had, usually it comes down to the non-LDS spouse didn't fully understand what they were signing up for when they married a Mormon. They didn't fully understand how involved we are in our church. And I, I explained to John before we married how much time I spend at church, how much time I spend in calling, um, how how much my church and my religious faith infused every facet of my being and my life. So he, I think he had a Really good picture of how much my church means to me. Well before we were married, and he is a very secure man within himself, and is very willing to let me have the life I need to have, to have in my church life, and that's why it can work. Uh, and I think, quite frankly, the other reason, quote is that we weren't raising children with each other. In other words, I didn't have a child with him. I have often wondered if our marriage would have worked, because when you get to that point where you're taking that child to church and primary and getting baptized and then all the things we do in our church, uh, we, he and I would have had to have some real conversations about, okay, what faith are we going to raise this child in? And I think that would have put some real strain on our marriage. So when I talk to my single friends, I have had a lot of single women come to me from church and say, Well, Jennifer, you're in a really happy marriage and you're married to a non-member. Would you advise that I could do the same? you think I should do the same? I'm always really candid with them and tell them, look, if you think you're going to be having children with this man, or if you already have children and you want to marry out of the faith, make sure he understands that you want to raise your children in the church. Because if he wants to raise them out of the faith and you want to raise them in the faith, the marriage will not work. And that's my own opinion. Maybe someone has a different opinion, but but I really believe that that is where the big problems come in, is when this, the non-believing spouse, who who is, you know, and I, I think they have every right to say, hey, I want my children raised in a different way. I don't think that, that it's fair for me to marry someone and then impose my beliefs on him and, and, and tell him that any children we have together are you know, are going to be married in the Mormon Church, whether you like it or not, I feel strongly that both spouses have to understand and agree to the arrangement before the marriage occurs or the marriage is in trouble. I have certainly exposed the church beliefs to the kids. It's my stepchildren, they've all come to church with me at different times. They know the basis of our beliefs. They know what our church is about. None of them have chosen to be a part of our faith, and that's Okay because I love them as they are, and I love my husband as he is. I, I never want any of them to feel that my love for them is conditional on their joining the church or that somehow I would love them more if they joined or that we would be happier as a family. I want them to know that, hey, we've got a great life. We have a great family. I love you as you are. If you want to join the LDS faith, that's great, and we'll be, you know, I'll be there with you. But we're already a family, and I love you as you are. And that's the other reason I think that this works is that I, from very, very early on in our marriage, um, I was very prayerful about how much of my church proselytizing should I do towards this new family I had married into. And I got a really clear and very direct um, answer to prayer that I was not, to overtly try to proselytize my family into joining the church but rather I was to just love them just love them be a, a good mother a good wife a good companion a good partner and just find joy in this beautiful family and not have this undercurrent of um, always trying to convert them and I will say that if I had that secret agenda it would have damaged my marriage. It would have damaged my relationship with my stepchildren, and I again think that that is where sometimes marriages run into difficulties. Mixed mixed mix faith marriages. So the compromises I've made are similar to the ones my mother made. Uh, my my husband drinks alcohol, and he has wine in our home. Uh, when we go to dinner, he drinks wine in front of me. He's not a heavy drinker, but I am always respectful of his choice. You know, that's his thing, and I don't drink wine, and that's my thing. He is respectful of my beliefs. He's not antagonistic towards them. Um, He is supportive of my activity in the church. At times, he's even helped me in some of my calling. He sees the pleasure and the joy and the sense of meaning that I derive from my faith. And because he sees that that's a good thing in my life. He's very supportive of it. He's very respectful of my temple worship, very respectful of my garments. And again, all of this works because we have at our core a deep respect for the fact that each of us uh, is a good person of faith. We have a different way that we explicitly live our faith, but we are both people of faith.
0: Have there been moments of tension around the issue of faith? Actually, uh, the only time I ever remember,
1: and it was one time, about five years into our marriage, I remember one conversation we had while we were driving on a long trip, and I was really curious to really understand at a deeper level what my husband believed. And so I began asking him, well, what do you think about the afterlife what do you think about eternal marriage what do you think about this what do you think about baptism by immersion and quite candidly he he and I agreed on everything we agreed on everything and then I I I said sort of the golden question which was well then if we if we agree on everything would you would you consider joining the church and he found that very offensive and hurtful because he feels deeply connected to the Catholic faith, even though he does not actively go to the Catholic Church. He was born Catholic, raised Catholic, went to a Catholic school, and he knows the Bible actually better than I do. And in his DNA, he feels like he is Catholic. And so for me to, to say to him, well, would you, you know, since we pretty much share almost all the same beliefs, well, why not just join my church? That felt like a rejection of him and who he is. And it felt disrespectful to him. And I realized that it felt really disrespectful to him. And I never did that to him again. We just focus on the areas of overlap, the areas where we share our beliefs. And we we really focus on those. And on the areas where we do not share the same belief, we just don't, don't worry about it. We just don't worry about it. And even among my LDS friends who are married in the temple, they have areas that they don't completely have the same view on certain things, and they still find a way to make it work. Well, that's where we are, too. I think that both of us have a strong belief in the Savior, Jesus Christ, and we both have a strong belief that when that day comes that we meet the Savior, All of these things will be made known to us. All the mysteries that we don't yet understand will be made known to us. And a lot of the things that we perceive to be big differences of opinion and matters of religion, I believe, John and I both believe will just melt away.
0: So it's really a gift that you have to be able to so fully honor and respect his path that way, having been raised Mormon yourself. Do you think your ability to do that is related to the independent testimony you were forced to develop in your family growing up?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, my faith was challenged directly in my home from childhood. I remember as a little child coming home from primary, you know, I would come home with a picture of Jesus that I had done, and, you know, Cran, and he would challenge, well, how do you know there's a Jesus, and how do you know he was really, you know, a God, and I mean, I was hearing that at 8, 9, 10 years old, and so... I had to stop and think well how do I know hmm and uh, and it required of me to go through the process of not just accepting on faith but really working through the deep questions of, of Joseph Smith and some of the things he did that that seem odd to our ears in modern day and some of the questions that we have about why, why did the church do certain things a certain way for a while, and now they do things differently now. and I, I had to work through those questions at a very young age. and I want to say this, too, and this is something that I have re- recently come to understand, and that is that so often I think that the things we perceive to be a big trial in our life down the road turned out to be exactly the medicine we needed because those conversations with my dad those encounters I had uh, with him and the different worldviews and philosophies that he presented to me and he was a brilliant man dad was a PhD in psychology he was a college professor in economics and psychology Um, he knew his stuff he knew his history he knew his Mormon history so he presented me with some really well-crafted reasons for, for why I perhaps should not believe in this church. I, for years growing up, thought that that was such a trial, such a burden to have this non-member father who was so antagonistic towards the church. But the blessing of it was that it inoculated me, in a sense, By exposing me to those ideas at an age when I was able to work them out, it gave me tools and a process for working through subsequent times of of doubt or questions, uh, challenges to my faith, uh, very sophisticated challenges to my faith at times. So yes, absolutely. It directly, directly is a reason that I can say that my marriage is successful because of of, uh, of the things I learned in my home environment. The other gift that my home environment gave me was it gave me a great empathy and open-heartedness toward those of different belief systems, whether it's different faiths or non-faiths. It taught me from a very early age to relate to and understand the perspectives of people who were not in the the fairly insular Mormon belief system that I, I was sometimes that I sometimes encounter. It taught me how to uh, interact with and and be at ease with people of various faiths and belief systems, and be very very respectful of where they're coming from, and and not always operate from the perspective of befriending them just because I want to convert them. I, in fact, I think that's that's not fair to them and i th- I think it is actually disrespectful to people to to approach them in a friendship with this sort of subterranean uh, desire that oh i'm going to be their friend so that i can convert them i'm going to be their friend i'm going to share what i have as it comes up organically and i'm going to be a good friend to them whether or not they ever choose to adopt the faith that I have chosen to live.
0: Has your relationship with Christ or your relationship with the gospel changed because of your marriage to a non-member? Have you found yourself redefining that?
1: I found that in the context of marriage and being a mother, my understanding of how much our Heavenly Parents and our Savior love us has deepened um, immeasurably. So I'd say that more than more than being married to someone out of the faith, uh, it being married, period, and having children has, has mm-hmm. profoundly expanded my understanding of my relationship, and and my sense of the vastness of the gospel of Jesus Christ has really been magnified as I have have been able to be in a family. And I want to be careful about saying that, though, because I do. I would never want that single person out there to hear this or read this and think, well, oh, I guess I won't be able to learn those things because I'm not married. No, they probably have already learned it. I just, I'm a little slow about some things, and maybe I needed to be married and have kids in order to learn those things and have that deeper connection. I don't know. Um, I do know that the Lord... Has many different ways he can teach each one of us the same lesson, and for some people they can learn it in the context of marriage and family. Others can learn it as a single person, and don't don't are, aren't penalized because they didn't have that marriage and didn't have that family. But to answer your question, uh, I being ha- being able to be a mother really more than I think even more than being married mm-hmm. has has deepened my understanding of my relationship with with my father and my savior.
0: If you enjoy this podcast and the hundreds of interviews with modern Mormon women in our online library, please share with your friends and consider making a tax deductible donation at www.mormonwomen.com to help us fund interview transcription and website support.